0: Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Leftover, this is Arjun and this week on The Ones again and um, over the course of the last week I'm sure most people listening will have seen the images coming out of occupied Palestine um, of the murder of renowned Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh um, joining us this week to discuss this incident as well as the appalling actions of the Israeli state in the aftermath as well as just the ongoing occupation um is political researcher and writer hamza alisha thank you so much for joining us how are you doing pleasure man pleasure i'm good man i'm good how are you I'm um, yeah i'm good thanks i'm good um looking forward to, to to doing this as well because of course this is not the first time that we've done an episode on um on palestine and it's been about a year in fact pretty much exactly since the last time but uh, a lot is a lot has happened since then i mean as we were saying just before starting to record even just in the last week since the death of uh, Shireen Abu Akleh, like so many things have happened, and it's almost difficult, like impossible, to keep up with, especially when you're so far away. Even if you are sort of invested, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I think it's it's important to to kind of touch base with the general state of affairs in Israel, in Palestine, in twenty twenty two, at the moment. Um, and to to see really kind of where things are because especially in the aftermath of this this particular incident, it feels like certain lines have been crossed, you know, and it, and it really feels like certain things are about to give way almost. Um, but we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves, really. Uh, you know, I, I think just just to start with, um, I think it would be good to talk a little bit about. Shireen Abu Akleh um, because um, I'll I'll be honest and say that I hadn't actually heard of her before this uh, b- b- before she was killed but from my understanding she was a very renowned journalist uh, in the Arabic world right and um, a household name so to say right would, would would you agree with that yeah 100% um it's one it's one of them ones I think I think it
0: was Rifka from Rifka Brown from al Media where she said in that, mm-hmm. the Arab world it was the equivalent of like a household, I think the example she used was uh, Christian and Guru Murthy from uh, mm, Channel 4. Yeah, It's like in the Arab world, yeah. someone who was constantly on our screens. So like me, my sister, my brother, older generation, younger generation, everybody mm-hmm. knew. That's it, like anything related to Palestinian politics, news. Mm-hmm. She was there. She was the one that was reporting it. She was on the ground. So it was like very iconic. It was obviously no death is more important than the other. We know that. Of course, of course. It hit home. Because it was someone you could almost relate to was that you felt you knew her on a personal level
1: just because of how often you'd seen her exactly and I mean obviously I think the the just the outpouring of um you know tributes in the wake of her death kind of really proved that I mean just from all sides um and I mean, she was one of Al Jazeera's first field journalists. I mean, she joined them in 1997, right? So she'd been with them for 25 years. Like you were saying, you know, I think an entire generation of, um, of Palestinians would have seen her growing up, basically, as, as almost like intrinsic to the coverage, um, especially because she was also, I mean, she was mainly covering Israel's atrocities and war crimes in its in its and its continued occupation of palestine right and, and and i mean she kind of made a name for herself during the second intifada in in 2000 um and and um, and of course the circumstances surrounding her death i mean she was um, reporting on an idf raid at the janine refugee camp in in the northern part of the west bank she was wearing a a, a bright you know, a dark blue press vest. She was wearing a helmet. Um, It was very clearly demarcated that she was a a member of the press. And obviously, the press are civilians in a war zone. Uh, They cannot be targeted. Um, And she was shot under the helmet. And then they were pinned, like she and three other journalists were pinned by sniper fire. Um, And... The gunman kept on firing even after she'd been shot, uh, and we can see this because there's videos from from the incident. Another another journalist who was with her uh, was also shot in the back, but luckily he survived. Um, but uh, I think one of the most shocking things in the immediate aftermath of was, of course, I mean, I guess I can you can say shocking, but uh, you know, morally reprehensible certainly, but uh, but also not. Not uh, surprising in any way, really, was just the way that um, the IDF and then just straight up to Naftali Bennett, the Israeli prime minister, immediately uh, circulating this video, taken completely out of context, um, saying that there had been a, a, a firefight between Palestinian combatants and the IDF in that area. And the Palestinians were claiming that they'd hit someone, and because you no know, Israeli uh had uh, soldier had been hit, that they can claim that oh it was the Palestinians who'd actually hit Shireen. Normally they would actually you'll probably get away with that normally, but because
0: nowadays with like social media and like if you want like citizen journalism and on the ground like activism, mm-hmm. within like hours or even less it was it was quickly like it was quickly debunked, and that's that's I mean there was no positive from the situation, but that was one where. They quickly had to. They quickly had to backtrack, and, and even then, it hasn't been like a uh, like a, a clear like clamp, climb down. If you want, it's still I been kind of still using the same narratives and kind of still clinging on to this idea that it was sort of they were forced to do it, or it was an accident, or you know there was still Palestinian violence. But I mean, the very I mean, within hours, or sorry, within minutes of the deaths were. Well, mainstream media, you heard the uh, Israeli, yeah. Israeli Prime Minister Bennett, and he came out and said, you know, this is a violence, and I, there was even, I think, some MPs, I think, echoed that here, and you just think, yeah, yeah. Well, the evidence is there, like, there is evidence, mm-hmm. and people on the ground have, have shown you, they've given you exact map coordinations and everything, and it this is because Israel desperately tried to control the narrative, control the truth, and, and when, when it's not possible, they, they, they sort of land an assault on the truth, which is I mean, like we said, it's an occupation of every strand, an occupation in
1: every possible way. That that's the thing. I mean, the way that this disinformation campaign was just immediately launched in the aftermath of her killing. Um, this video, which was circulated immediately, uh, which was taken completely out of context. There's the uh, Israeli human rights organization Betzalel. I believe that that's how you pronounce it. Um, And they were on the ground pretty much straight away and they took a video from the place where this video was from and they just took a video walking from that spot to the spot where Shireen was actually killed, which is like several hundred meters away and around the block. So it is impossible for a gunman from there to have hit Shireen. Bullets can't, they can't go. Can't, can't, can't curve. Can't curve corners. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and and it had to be this video. I mean, even though, the, I mean, it was very obvious from from right from the get-go, like all the, you know, eyewitnesses from the ground and there were multiple of them, including the other journalists who were with her, who were shot at, you know, who were saying that there was no firefight. They were just being fired at. And once she was shot, they kept on firing still. Um, and, but but it had to take for them, for for Salem to actually like, post this video themselves for then bennett and the idf spokesperson to like climb down at least slightly on their initial statement their initial statement was just that that, that it, this was because of palestinian fire you know like this the, we did, we had nothing to do with this this is this is palestinian fire then they had to climb down and said okay we cannot determine who did it you know still like yeah still no no admission of, of of guilt or anything like that of course but now they're saying that we can't admit who did it because it's it's too obvious for, it's just too obvious for them to like maintain the other position anymore but um but the the the, the fact remains that you know journalists in occupy Palestine have been under attack under very you know direct physical attack. Um for decades at this point. Uh, it is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a journalist. Um, and unfortunately, the, the way in which um, the Israeli state conducts this it's it, it's it's a very strange sort of two-pronged um uh, approach it has to like media and to the PR at the moment. Because like on the one hand, there is this there, there is this assault on the truth, you know, like there, there is this assault on journalists who are very you know, obviously trying to expose the the atrocities that are going on under the Israeli regime. Um, but then at the same time, there's this counteroffensive of, you know, misinformation on the one hand and also this conflation of any criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. Um, and this is kind of happening simultaneously, you know, like, so they're like, it's, it's, it's almost like they're losing the PR, PR battle and they know this. Um, because this is all happening in the age of the smartphone and four G, where everyone can actually fucking see what you're doing. You know, like you can't really. This is not the seventies anymore. You know, like you can't really like hide this stuff. Like I would argue um, that's probably why they're doubling down
0: because I mean, exactly
1: like the sort of the war,
0: or rather sort of the onslaught last year in Gaza. There was like I remember there were clips surfacing on like social media, Twitter in particular, Instagram. And then those clips would then be used by, like, Sky News or, like, other, other media organisations days later because it's almost too too hard to avoid. Like, you couldn't avoid, you couldn't claim to be a, sort, of a, sort of a respected news organisation or broadcaster and then not show that because so many people had seen it. Whereas previously, you could kind of suppress that, you could just leave that and you'd assume people wouldn't see it. Whereas now, because because there is that, that element of like citizen journalism and like more people mm-hmm. the people recording it used to rely on like cameras by Associated Press or Sky News or BBC whereas now it's yeah. a smartphone and so people are uploading things to their Instagram stories onto Twitter clips YouTube and so suddenly there's more questions being asked but that comes with its with its own punishing consequences because mm-hmm. of how the Israeli sort of the Israeli establishment or the Israeli political media class clamp down on that even more yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of censorship going on as well on social media platforms and things like that. But but um, even aside from that, the the way that like they in in this particular case, for example, manipulated the legacy media. For example, I mean, just the fact that Naftali Bennett, who is the prime minister of Israel, is able to like put out this complete bullshit hoax, you know, like right when Shireen is killed. Then obviously he knows that like all the major news outlets. Are going to run with that. That's like the line that they're going to run with. That the Israeli Prime Minister claimed that this was Palestinian fire, and that's the subheading that they can use. So even if they do climb down 24 hours later, even 12 hours later, let's say, the damage has already been done because because the initial, you know, um, wave of news has already gone out there, and that is the 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 talking point that most outlets are going to are going to run with at that point, and. Most disappointingly, like, one of the outlets that ran with this exact line was the fucking Associated Press. It was the AP, whose headquarters in Gaza were leveled by the IAF, was leveled by the Israeli Air Force, exactly one year ago. So today is the 18th of May when we're recording this. On the 16th of May, 2021, the AP and Al Jazeera headquarters in the Gaza Strip was fucking bombed and, and leveled. Um, luckily no one was killed because they had been given uh, evacuation orders before the bombing but great like you still bomb their fucking buildings and if, if there's no like if there's no clearer you know signal of intent of a war against you know journalism or any sort of integrity. I mean obviously, you know, in this country we'd like to take the piss out of columnists and and, and and like shitty opinion opinion journalists and whatnot, but there are actually really good journalists out there doing who are doing vital work, especially in places like Israel, you know, and in, in places like Palestine. And um and 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 yeah, like I mean if there's no clearer signal of intent than that, I don't know what there is. And and even after that, the fact that the AP can actually run with, you know, Bennett's bullshit you know like in the wake of this it's just so i don't know it was just so it was just so shit honestly it's always from these these kind
0: of media outlets or like media organizations that you kind of expect more from yeah but like the day i saw the daily mails had and you think well yeah i mean what, what more do you expect i mean it's just mm-hmm. to journalism isn't it and then you look yeah. at the sun and you think okay this thing But then the guardians one the guardians one led with oh something about al jazeera accuses. Yeah. yeah 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 of course between two sides and then one's accusing the other and the other still has like can prove it it wasn't the case and the same with ap and it's and you're thinking like you literally because it's well documented how i I think some of the editors or some of the correspondents from ap were trying to speak to those who were issuing the warnings uh, from israel before the the airstrike yeah and you're thinking like you've got first-hand experience you directly experienced this sort of this barbarity and a year on now it's someone else and you know exactly how it feels on the receiving end of that and yet still you're kind of mincing your words a little bit. There's a bit of censorship going on there. And I think that's, that's probably why Israel can act with impunity at times because it kind of knows mm-hmm. accountability from the international community yeah. is, will be very little and accountability in the media will be few and far between. It will be practically yeah. non-existent. I mean, bar maybe Al Jazeera and some of the Arab outlets, mm-hmm. there wasn't really much in the face of like stern condemnation. And like you said, when it did come by uh, columnists and opinion pieces, the headline's already been written. It's already been labelled a clash.
1: It's already been labelled as sort of retaliation against Palestinian violence. So ultimately, it's futile. I mean, what's been most shocking to me, in a way, at least I feel like, and this is like, I feel like a a shift that's happened more in the last two or three years. I might be mistaken about this, and this is is definitely nothing more than anecdotal from my side, but um, noticing the coverage around Israel-Palestine in the UK media and the US media like in the wake of the 2019 election there was like such an alignment shift in terms of like this real solidification of you know uh, criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism at this point And and it's become like to the point that it is it basically becomes almost like uh common public knowledge you know like that that's like it it becomes established as like a sort of baseline normalized um stance you know so like so like so many news outlets i mean like almost pretty much any news outlet in the uk is so scared to say anything and i feel like in the us where this has been much more of a taboo at least for a longer time i feel like there's at least a at least some of the coverage that i've seen just about the shirin abalaker case i mean just that that in itself i feel like that they've been more open in their condemnation of israel um you know and and yeah that's the thing i mean, I mean it, it feels bizarre living in the uk right now and and talking about this stuff because like conversation genuinely does feel really fucking stifled you know and and like there's no nuance at all i mean in the run up to i remember
0: from like 20 15, 16 onwards, yeah. it was like, especially like from my from my perspective, was like as a Palestinian, you're like, wow, I've never seen the sort of the conflict uh, be discussed in this manner, like, so openly, like, Labour conference passing mm-hmm. motions. I remember in the 2018 conference, mm-hmm. I think the motion Palestine got more votes uh, than Brexit and mm-hmm. NHS, mm-hmm. and you're thinking these are like the two, Brexit at the time was, mm-hmm. what was like yeah. everything, it was yeah. like headlined everywhere. <laughs> so, like po- policies stopped in mm-hmm. the UK because of Brexit, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "Wow, this is like really refreshing to see." But the flip side of that is, as a result of that, where to so many that was like grotesque. It was like, "Why on earth are we standing up for the Palestine? Why are the solidarity so unwavering, so mm-hmm. unconditional?" Mm-hmm. So there's been like a 180 degree turn as a result, and now it's like you mentioned Palestine, and you whether it's in US, whether it's at the grassroots, there's just. Now it's just like, like you said, it's become taboo. It's like, we do not discuss. And if mm-hmm. you do discuss it, or if you've got form, or if you've got history, you kind of get tarnished with the, like, anti-Semitism mm-hmm. accusation. Yeah. So it leaves you kind of boxed in, because it's not a nice accusation to be no. Like, you don't, want, you don't want to have that label of, like, a racist or an anti-Semite. So it becomes...
1: Yeah, it's a really, really slack And so people become hesitant to even talk about it in the first place, you know, like, and that's, and then mission accomplished, you know, like, no, you, you can't say anything about it. And then Israel just carries on doing what it's doing with impunity. Um, but on the other hand, you know, like, in, in terms of like the status quo of how things have been in Israel, particularly since 1967, you know, and how things have sort of gradually worsened um, and those borders have increasingly sort of, uh, encroached further and further um, and like the possibility of like a two state solution is pretty much sort of vanished I mean like it's it's not a real you know um, I, I mean I, I don't think any like any, any pragmatic leftist would be able to support a two state solution anymore you know because it's just I mean could you imagine like the Israeli state allowing like a, a, a sovereign Palestinian state to to have its own army by its borders. Like of course not. You know? They, they but, say it explicitly as well. Yeah. yeah. like they, Bennett yeah.
0: himself, he's literally said before I, I I will not oversee the creation of a Palestinian state. Yeah. Like, and then you still get Biden and like Islam <laughs> and all these like these sound bites, robotic traditions yeah. about yeah, you know, we're committed to a two state solution. <laughs> because it ultimately allows them to yeah position themselves as, as providing a solution, knowing full well, mm-hmm. there is no, no like realistic chance of that sort of manifesting, but then it, to them, it's, it's better than just saying, well, you know, or, or condemning Israel outright, or saying, you know, we don't really want, want to offer anything. So it kind of, this two-state banner, this, it's easy to hide under it, knowing when you know the reality on the ground, it's like a one-state apartheid regime. So you advocating for a two-state solution at a time when Israeli political society has lurched so far to the right that even if it wasn't Netanyahu, if it wasn't Bennett, if if somebody else came, it's just not it's not gonna happen.
1: That's it. And 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 I think like part of that is is maybe even as a reaction to the fact that and I think this is something that's a little bit difficult to gauge fully while living in the UK, but I think globally like Israel Israel's popularity has never been lower. Um, And I think that's partially because of the fact that, you know, we are living in the age of the smartphone and and whatnot. And Israel's atrocities can be fucking seen daily by people around the world. Um, And yeah, I mean, as a result of this, especially in the wake of of the murder of Shirin Abu Akleh, like the the actions of the the Israeli state, they really felt like they crossed a certain line. Right. Uh, I mean, like just that day alone, her house was raided by the Israeli police um i mean which is just already just just incredibly disrespectful and just undignified and then to 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 make things even worse a few days later during the during her funeral procession the funeral procession was attacked which i'm sure everyone saw the videos of because i mean it's I mean, it, it's genuinely hard to watch, you know, like it's the the her pallbearers were beaten by baton wearing riot police and her coffin nearly falls to the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you wouldn't if that happened
0: anywhere else, it would be like outrageous. That
1: that, that, that feels like a real taboo being crossed as well. Right. Like that's a, that's a real no, no. Like I feel like it was
0: it might be like a symbolic in years to come. You know, like a, that that image yeah. of like the people holding on to the to the coffin, and then the sort of the, the Israeli forces come with like assaulting them. It feels like potentially it could be like a real moment of of symbolism in a sense. Look, this is this is the reality of what of what Israeli forces are. This is the reality of Israel's domination. Um,
1: but maybe that's I don't know. I maybe mean, it's
0: a tad optimistic. Potential.
1: No, but I mean, it, it like it, it it does feel a little bit like because I think even for a for a sort of casual observer, if they see something like that, I mean, there's no way that you you look at that image and and not be disgusted. I think, and you know, unless you're like incredibly ideologically indoctrinated to gen- genuinely believe that like all Palestinians are terrorists and they don't deserve any human dignity which there are some people who genuinely do believe that unfortunately but like unless you are like that ideologically indoctrinated i think you you look at something like that and your your immediate response is one of horror you know because like it's 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 really it's just a line is fucking crossed at that point you know and 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 like to me that almost shows um you know like on on the one hand it's almost like an act of provocation i think you know from the israeli state like saying like you know what are you going to do about it you know it's like similar to like when they bombed the uh, the ap offices last year um it's a bit like yeah what are you going to fucking do you know like come at me bro like this kind of an attitude you know like um and it's almost they, they probably internally recognize that a bit of
0: fortnight maybe more maybe less it'll kind of blow over there'll be there'll still be people sort of mentioning it and 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 referencing it but overall sort of the global condemnation will will kind of will lessen. and and i think that's that's kind of been the pattern for years i mean at the grassroots level now there's a lot more there's a lot more like alertness there's a lot more the solidarity is like it's really refreshing to see but if you're talking at the the diplomatic level the state level Mm -hmm. in the media in sort of the media framework it's kind of know in Israel Israel's forces kind of know look this will this will, this will lessen it will quieten down shortly and it's, it's kind of it's knowing that which is which probably governs a lot of their actions in a sense it will, like we discussed the headlines won't do justice mm-hmm. probably defend Israel more so and so they just
1: that's, that's why they can essentially act with impunity just a lack of accountability in, in, in general. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, like speaking of accountability as well. Obviously, I mean, um, Israel offered to do a joint investigation into this into this murder, which is, I mean, obviously it's a fuss. Like they've done these kinds of things before, and almost in no circumstance is any of the perpetrator are, are any of the perpetrators actually do do they face any real justice. Um, at least in recent years. The only time i found was in 2016 when uh, an IDF soldier, a medic, in fact, uh, Sergeant Elor Azaria, um, shot a Palestinian man who was wounded and unarmed on the ground, um, Abdul Fattah al-Sharif. He had stabbed and wounded an IDF soldier, but was unarmed at that point. And Himself wounded and on the floor uh, when uh, this Israeli soldier shot him in the head, um, and this was all captured on camera. Um, so yeah, because it was pretty much like the whole thing was captured on 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 yeah someone's cell phone. You know, like they couldn't really do anything about it. But even then, the charge was was uh, reduced to a manslaughter. Like a guy gets summarily executed, shot on the ground, a wounded man, unarmed wounded man, gets shot on the ground and that's a manslaughter apparently. And and the soldier got eighteen months in prison. I mean you get more for toppling a statue here, man. It's, it's I mean it's 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 actually nuts, you know, when you think about it. And um and yeah, it's what you were saying as well. I mean the whole thing is just a just a massive charade, right? I mean it's just a kind of just a box checking exercise just to just to say that like we've we, we've done this the whole time it's, it's a, and the thing is from a from a, like an institutional point of view when you talk
0: about like liberalism and you know the, the rule of law and all of that and you just think israel is just exempt from all of it mm. like it just doesn't apply i mean it, it's classified as like a western a western country sort of democratic country the only democracy in the Middle east apparently and yet when it comes to these sort of democratic practices that we in britain especially like the political class likes to hold in high esteem, suddenly it's just non-existent. I mean, this this is what you'd, you'd expect in countries that Britain call sort of like... Banana republics. Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking, this is... is, is at times, it is unbelievable. If there wasn't evidence, and if it hadn't been ongoing for so long, you genuinely call it unbelievable. You'd think, this is mad. If someone came to you and told you this, you'd be like, I, I refuse to believe it.
1: I mean, in a way, it's interesting that you say that. In a way, I think it's, it's almost perfect in that sense as a uh, a symbol of you know the an outpost of western imperialism in the middle east right because it is a distillation of all the of all the machinations that uh, enable western imperialism to actually function in its sort of purest Form, You know, like it's the ethno-nationalism, it is the military domination, it is the, you know, surveillance, um, it is the sort of brutal border regimes. I mean, it is it is all of those things sort of like distilled into like the most, um, it, into the purest form. And, and, and these are the same mechanisms and these are the straight, same structures, which in like slightly less overt forms... Uphold the British state, you know. Uphold the the the, the, the American state uh, as well, you know. Um, and and to varying degrees, because I mean, over here we are seeing, uh, in some ways, a lot more of a a direct and obvious comparison as well, you know. Given the way that, like, for example, Priyit Patel's borders nation and borders bill uh, is 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 being set up, you know. And and in terms of just a general attack on um, civil liberties, in terms of you know the right to protest, in terms of police surveillance powers, in terms of the impunity with which like soldiers and 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 uh, law enforcement officers can actually get away with committing crimes, essentially. Um, so all of these things, you know, I mean, it's it's Israel really is like it's like. Uh, um, a, 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 yeah, it's 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 like a laboratory where like you 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 have all of these, um, yeah, all of these tools kind of being developed, which are then used to uh, control the the imperial core itself. Yeah, it's like test and tried, try sorry, tried and tested in uh, in Israel,
0: and then okay that worked, and potentially okay, let's see what we can extract from that. Let's see if we can, kind of, all under the guise of democracy. Let's see if we can apply that here. It's, Yeah, I mean, and and obviously, Britain and America especially are complicit in the sense they do give unconditional, not just financial, military and diplomatic backing to to Israel. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, no wonder you you sit here and you think to yourself, when are MPs going to have like a backbone, whether they're going to develop a backbone, speak about this. But ultimately, you just, if you don't expect it, at least that way, you won't be
1: disappointed. Well, yeah, unfortunately, um, and and like the one or two that that do dare to speak up, I and mean, we saw what happened. Uh, you know, we saw what 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 happened to Corbyn, and and I mean, I mentioned it in the podcast before as well, but I, I feel like the this the success, and I and I hate to put it in those words, but the success of the. Anti-Semitism smears on on Corbyn were quite instrumental in I think shaping a, a broader global discourse around Israel Palestine um, because it was like the the Israel lobby have been trying for a long time and I will say the Israel lobby I don't care if you think it's problematic there is a fucking Israel lobby <laughs> and the Israel lobby have been trying for a very long time to um, uh, to 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 conflate. Uh, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism and you know from I remember like from when I was younger um, like it just was not as much the same you know like um, I'm, I'm, that, that that's really clumsily worded I know <laughs> but uh, um uh, and, and and I feel like, I mean, this is something that, that, that in the way that the whole campaign against Corbyn was sort of intensified, especially in the years leading up to uh, 2019, because even up until I would say 2018, you know, like they'd been trying since 2015 and 2016, but the whole campaign hadn't really gained a huge amount of purchase. And, and like the polling was raj- largely sort of unaffected, um, but the extent to which the campaign was pushed in the lead up to the 2019 election to the, like, you know, after which basically you could not mention the Labour Party in the election campaign without there also having to be a mention of anti semitism, and some sort of, you know, do you apologize for this? Do you apologize for this? Will you answer for this? You know? Um, and, and it's,
0: and it's to the point where now it's like, mentions of Palestine mm-hmm. in the same in the same vein, it becomes like uh, uh, synonymous with anti-Semitism. So if you mention Palestine, you can't sort of offer solidarity because if you do, you're, so they say, you're sort of aligning yourself with like or enabling anti-Semitism or legitimising anti-Semitism. And you just think that conflation, I mean, it, it's been ongoing in America for so long and it's, like I said, it's been pride tested. It's really problematic. It's problematic because it it essentially shuts down debate about an ongoing—I won't use the word clash or conflict—an ongoing, uh, ongoing ethnic cleansing, ongoing oppression, ongoing systematic violence, and it also kind of belittles actual antisemitism in the sense that when almost, somebody has genuine concerns of antisemitism, when somebody who has been targeted as a Jew, it's suddenly becomes almost secondary to actual like solidarity with Palestinians, which is deemed like the more important antisemitism to deal with and that's that's the that's the the most worrying aspect in a sense because it's been used in such a like a callous way people just now associate antisemitism especially in the labor party it must be oh it must be someone who said something about palestine exactly it's way more than that it's way more complex than
1: that way more nuanced than that and people are suffering as a result of it absolutely absolutely and 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 it's not just the fact that it's Palestinian activism which became conflated and synonymous with anti-Semitism. But as a result of this whole campaign, it was the whole of the left which became sort of synonymous with it, right you know and and, and that's why I think like it's it's so crucial to understand this this whole debate um, in terms of like the framework with, with which like the left has been treated in in the wake of the 2019 election and, and sort of where we stand right now um, and and why it's so difficult to like gain any sort of platform or voice in the, the mainstream media, for example, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, like w- w- when it comes to, as we were mentioning earlier, I mean, Israel's ongoing war against journalism, against the media. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the killing of Shirin Abu Akleh uh, and the, bombing of the AP officers aren't the only ones either. I mean, in, in, in recent years, other notable examples include Yasin Murtarja, uh, who was also killed in 2018 uh, by sniper fire, again, while while wearing very de- clearly demarcated press gear, um, while covering the Great March of Return. Um... Um, Fadel Shana, who was uh, a cameraman for Reuters, was killed in 2008. Uh, He was in a TV van with a mounted camera um, when an IDF tank just opened fire on them. Uh, And it was very, again, very clearly designated as a TV van. And then the, the, the soldiers were exonerated because the investigation concluded that they couldn't determine whether the mounted camera on the van was a rocket launcher or not. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's as ridiculous as that. I mean, like, if you genuinely as a soldier can't determine whether a fucking camera, a TV camera, is a rocket launcher or not, maybe you shouldn't be a soldier. I don't know, like <laughs> that that narrative. I'm I'm sure it surfaced
0: recently as well, didn't it? I think they said when they, I think an Israeli source uh, mentioned, it, it quoted. He said, "Oh, but you know these these Palestinians. They they're armed with cameras, or like they they do have cameras almost as a justification yeah. as to why they're being targeted. It's like that, that in itself is a, is like a, a brazen, it's almost like a mask slippers. Well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an admission of It's an admission. It's it's yeah. It's kind of saying the quiet part out loud. The camera is actually the weapon.
0: <laughs> yeah, they record. They're recording yeah. us. They're they're sort of uncovering our 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 brutality. And as a result, we must we must clamp down. That must stop. And it's like I said, it's it's, it's an assault of the, on the truth in every possible way. Yeah. It's just metaphorical. It's a literal assault on the truth
1: as well. No ab- absolutely and um and 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 yeah as as I was mentioning earlier as well I mean there's this um you know many accusations of, uh, you know, shadow banning of pro-Palestinian content on sites like Facebook and Instagram as well, which is also would make sense, which would be consistent with the fact that in twenty sixteen Facebook actually announced a partnership with the Israeli government to tackle online extremism, um, and we can only know what that means. I mean, if if like it's coming from that, like I mean, there's not to say that there isn't online extremism on Facebook, but like. Facebook still let that video of like the Buffalo shooter stay for God knows how long on the website. Like, like, they don't give a shit. Like, (laughs) you know, they don't actually give a shit about extremism. They don't actually give a shit about like this kind of content. That selective solidarity or like that
0: double standard, and and sort of redrawing, constantly shifting the goalposts as to what extremism is, what qualifies as extremism, what can and can't, what can and can't be shown. I mean, Instagram, how many accounts? I think Bella Hadid's one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Muna Al-Kurd as well, I think in Sheikh Jarrah, this was, I think, end of last year when they were, I think she was live streaming, mm-hmm. live streaming the, the demolition and suddenly it was taken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omar Suleiman, I think he's an American, American-Palestinian preacher, he raised an issue just the other week. Um, I think it was the High Court ruling the demolition or, or the sort of full six expulsion of, I think, a thousand Palestinians, which was greenlit by the High Court just, just a few weeks ago. Again, he highlighted this on his Instagram account, suddenly he, he couldn't upload his yeah. story anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's just so so blatant. Mm-hmm. And then these, these organizations claim to stand for free speech and oh,
1: it's, it's a sham, the whole thing's a shame. Absolutely. And um that's the thing. I mean, one of the parallels that I did want to draw with this as well, um, and and it's something that we've again talked about on the podcast before, is just generally how similar things are between Israel and India. And one of the most you know striking similarities is the danger under which journalists oftentimes operate. And um, I mean, uh, in India, I mean, since the BJP government came into power in 2014, Uh, A recent report that was commissioned by the Tagore Family Foundation um, uh, said that there have been 200 serious attacks on journalists since 2014, and 40 journalists have been killed in that time. Um, And these attacks include instances of journalists being fired upon, blinded by pellet guns, forced to drink liquor laced with urine or urinated upon, Kicked, beaten, and chased. They've had petrol bombs thrown at their homes and fuel pipes uh, of their uh, of their bikes cut. Um, and this is just some examples. Um, and um, some uh, uh, something that you know that, that, that really sort of strikes out, um, especially in the wake of the murder of Shirin, is uh, in twenty seventeen, when uh, a fifty five year old journalist Gauri Lankesh. Um, was also killed outside her home in Bangalore in, in South India um, by a gang of right-wing Hindu fanatics um, uh, and she was also uh, she, she was an independent reporter she was she reported mostly in, in Kannada which is the, the local language there um, and uh, she had been an, an outspoken critic of the Modi government as well um, she'd been Organizing, sort of bringing together leftist student movements as well as the Dalits, uh, you know, the the Untouchables, um, who are also like a, a major target of the um, of of the Modi government. Um, and she'd been bringing the, together these two movements. So, I mean, already that kind of solidarity is seen as a huge threat to um, to to uh, the BJP rule. Um, and she was also a member of the Lingayat community, which is a, a separate sect of Hinduism, which is, which is sort of separate from uh, Brahminism, which is like upper caste, um, mainstream upper caste Hinduism, um, and which is the sort of backbone of, of, of BJP support really. Many Lingayat leaders had actually sort of called for a rallying of, rallying together of forces in Karnataka, which would have threatened BJP rule there um and so many of these leaders had already been targeted and um essentially two goa-based hindu supremacist organizations um formed a gang that was inspired by the teachings of the leader of one of these groups um which basically claimed that in order to uh, advance the current epoch the current epoch under hinduism to the next um Evildoers have to be punished, you know, sinners and evildoers and people, people who are, um, you know, uh, trying to destroy the religion essentially. Um, and they had a list of thirty-five writers and journalists up and down the country, out of whom four were killed, including Gauri Lankesh, um, and in quite similar fashion as well. I mean, she. Yeah, I mean the parallels. The parallels are, are stark.
0: Yeah, the, the the thing is, which which stands out there is is. Similar to like the settler movement in Israel, yeah, you kind of you gain confidence from the fact that you know your political leaders are sort of espousing yeah. The narrative. Yeah, you know where they stand. You know that they're going to kind of they play an enabling role in the media, mm-hmm. in, their, in their policies, and so it, it just it legitimizes your violence. It enables you to act freely. So when you're seeing like fanatics, they kind of have like they kind of know they have free free hand because they know they're not they're not going to be punished, and it's going to exactly be like it will be in. You know, Actually, they're doing the work of 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 their political leaders. It's kind of almost like a an informal relationship, exactly. And this exists in most like across all the in these sort of these these oppressive systems, the oppressive states. And like I said, if if you'd read that out um, and I, and, I, and just replaced India with Israel, I mean, it wouldn't. Nobody would know the difference. I mean, it's
1: yeah,
0: it's yeah, it's
1: stark par- parallels, man. That's the thing, that's the thing, you know, I mean, just like, even though obviously in this case, uh, this gang, at least from what we know, um, weren't given directives from any official government sources, uh, their actions would very much still help the government, you know, in taking out voices that were critical towards it, um, and... They were very much obviously enabled and emboldened and supported by the ideological framework of this government as well, you know, um, and, and obviously, you know, um, like you were saying, just the fact that these are the people in power kind of gives them the um, gives them the, 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 the feeling that they can get away with doing this, you know, that they can actually get away with doing this with with some level of impunity as well. Um, And I mean, when the the, the killer who was actually found, when he was actually asked, I mean, he said that he thought that he was uh, saving his religion. um, And I mean, he was just shown a clip, a video clip of her speaking up against Hindutva, which is obviously like Hindu extremism, uh, which was taken out of context in this way to to make it seem like she hated all Hindus. Um, And especially in a, in a place like India where literacy levels are very low uh, and, you know, misinformation can spread very... But, like, so many people have smartphones, for example, you know, like, so misinformation can, can spread very quickly via WhatsApp and, and so on, and WhatsApp and Facebook. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, genuine atrocities are committed as a, on the back of this kind of information. And... Like once again going back to the situation uh, in in Israel Palestine, I mean where Facebook has teamed up with um, with the Israeli government to tackle extremism. So to say, I mean like this is not the kind of extremism that they're worried about. You know,
0: <laughs> like <laughs> type. It's the similar of like the the racism kind of thing where some ra- some forms of racism are important than the others. So when when one is committed, it's like well you know that's not that's bottom on the in the hierarchy. I think mean, I think it's 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 one of the ones where because now. With, with media and like information it's, it's kind of a form of protest isn't it? it's kind of a way of holding power to account yeah and so a lot of these these like oppressive oppressive regimes they they know they stifle protest physically and so the remain the remaining avenues which is like media like sort of just cell phone videos and, and Instagram and Twitter etc and then obviously mainstream journalists and just general citizen journalism clamping down on that is clamping down on methods of sort of resistance as well. So it's, it's just across the board, it's, pr- protests are clamped down on, and then the protests via media or also, or sure, enlightening others on the brutality of these regimes. That becomes the next priority in an age of information, in an age of media, new media, etc. So, it, yeah, I mean, it, like we said, it's, it's a it's pressure across the board. It's just it's unrelenting.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, when you're looking at, like you were saying, you know, avenues of protest, I mean, like, how do you resist... Right. Um, you've been told that you can't resist militarily, you know, because then you're a terrorist. Uh, you've been told that you can't expose the actions of the Israeli state because then you are, I don't know, an anti-Semite or something. Uh, and and of course, the, the, the biggest call that's been coming sort of from the, the Palestinian community has been... BDS you know boycott diverse sanction uh, and even that is is being outlawed I mean like there's there's serious proposals on the table to ban BDS entirely and um, I mean already many campuses are now uh, you know not not allowing BDS activities to take place and um, and I mean in the US for example I mean you've had instances of I think it was in Texas that you had to like signed a pledge of allegiance to israel uh and um a a muslim teacher was fired from a school for refusing to do so yeah i mean these kinds of like like you were saying you know this this occupation being sort of the the totality of this occupation you know like it's it's not just in any one particular uh aspect geographically speaking in terms of um institutions i mean it just spans pretty much everything right um and and kills it kills your hope and so it it, which is in intention yeah yeah
0: so it it makes you it makes you not want to it makes you kind of accept the situation i I can only speak anecdotally but for Mm. example relatives family friends back home in in, like palestine and i I remember this was like a few years ago i used to i used to wonder to myself i see like the instagram posts or when we speak on the phone etc and i'll be like why are you not as outraged as me like i'm in Mm. london i'm in a Obviously, yeah. I'm in a position of luxury, so yeah. I'm I'm only sort of commenting from from the outside in, and I say to them like, like you're living in the West Bank, you're living under this occupation, but they used to say like, we've got no no means of resistance, we've just mm-hmm. accepted this is mm-hmm. our fate, mm-hmm. and that's that's essentially that's the worst part of it. Yeah. It's the fact that you accept you know something so so foul, so so demeaning, so dehumanizing. And you, your instinct is to resist it, whether it's through protest, whether it's through mobilisation, whether it's through media. But you simply can't. And so you accept it. And from the outside, it looks like you've just succumbed to it. You've just accepted your fate. But internally, you're probably raging. And yet, you know your limitation. And that's kind of the playbook with which these regimes are operating now. We see with Israel, you've just mentioned it, with, with India. I mean, the parallels are there. Um, everybody sees sort of a clampdown Kashmir as well. So there is a you could reference you could reference China as well. I mean, you you look and you think this is it, the worst thing is when you when you lose hope when your hope is killed when you when you think that you, you can't even protest because you might fear for your life. You might think, okay, what now? And that's so you end up acting within the parameters with which your oppressors want you to act. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. But I think I think it is important, you know. I mean, if we sort of wrapping things up with the podcast as well, I think it is important to to not lose hope, you know, because. Um, first of all, like I was saying, you know, I think that generally speaking there is I think part of the reason why the Israeli state is is getting more desperate almost in its um in its attempts to maintain this this current power structure and the status quo, um, is because it notices that its sort of global stock is very much on the on the decline. Um and and I think it's important to to keep that momentum up from from all sides, even when when we're in, when we're in this part of the world to to carry on sort of exposing, the the actions of the Israeli state um, and to carry on boycotting Israeli goods uh, and so on. Um, but also, I think it's important to highlight the actions of, uh, you know, people like the comrades over at Palestine Action, for example, who we've, you know, we've had on the podcast before as well. Uh, and, you know, who are doing amazing work um, earlier this year, as we've mentioned on the podcast, you know, they they managed to successfully shut down an entire uh, factory uh, of, of Elbit Systems in Oldham, near Manchester, Um Elbit is, of course, Israel's largest arms uh, manufacturer. They produce eighty-five percent of the arms uh, used in the o- occupation, um, and to shut down an entire factory—that's that's that's really pretty remarkable. Um, and um, as of recording, I mean, yesterday. Uh, they managed to um, disrupt and, and and blockade the Elbert headquarters in London as well um and th- I mean they they show no signs of relenting and and I think it's important to to sort of keep that kind of spirit in mind as well um that you know the the there is there are avenues of of, of resistance I mean obviously not everyone can engage in arrestable actions which you know result in factories being shut down um unfortunately that's not just just not possible for everyone um but it just shows that there are many other avenues to 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 resist this occupation even if you are living so far away on the other side of the world no i think especially in the uk we've definitely seen over the last
0: say the last couple of years, at the grassroots level, like on the ground, there's I mean I think people have realised you can't rely on like our our political class, especially now. I mean the, the two the two political party leaders mm-hmm. who have the most realistic chance of being in number ten, don't bet don't bet on them. I mean they're not gonna do anything for mm-hmm. you. Um, and when you look on the ground, like you said, you referenced Palestine action, even just the general support for those who do express solidarity. We saw with Emma Watson, Salah yeah. Sal- Rooney yeah. Um I mean in the in the fellow authors and like in the world of film they came out unanimously with, to support Emma Watson and Sally Rooney when they came under yeah. attack for their for their solidarity. I mean even we mentioned BDS previously, but when you look at the Ben and and yeah. what happened with Nike not to sell Israeli in the illegal in the illegal settlement. So there is there is that grassroots act, there is that mobilization and like, and like I said, young Labour for example, they passed that move yeah. and they got that through uh, this year, so in terms of collective action and, and mobilisation, that that's working, and all we can do is continue that. Yeah. Because it is, it does, it does shift conversation, mm-hmm. it does begin to like turn minds, and people yeah. are aware of it. Yeah. And even if the media is going to fail you, it's like it's countless now. There's countless like left-wing media outlets who will who will use unapologetic terms when describing Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, rather than succumbing to defeat, I do think in the UK now, the grass at the grassroots level, until the mobilisation, collective action, direct action. There are a lot of positives. A lot
1: of positives. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And you know, there's a lot of people doing really good research. A lot of lot of good writing out there, including yours, of course. You know, we'll uh, we'll definitely link that when we um, you know when we post this this episode as well. But yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, we we generally tend to we we like to sort of end the podcast episodes on on. Uh, a a you know uh, a call to arms so to say but like yeah like on 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 fairly positive notes and I and I think especially on you know with with this even though things are very depressing and you know um, the, the the horrors that passengers are subjected to on a daily basis are I mean that that is what they are I mean it's 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 a it's it's a horrendous situation but at the same time it, it's it's really important not to lose hope and to to carry on. Not just the conversation, but but the resistance in in whatever way that, that we can even over here. Like whenever, even like I can only speak on uh, regarding London,
0: but whenever there's like just like Saturday just past the protest, you always see that solidarity. Mm-hmm. It's always yeah. there. And you, yeah. Last year's one well, regarding the sort of the bombardment, I think hundred eighty thousand, two hundred thousand turned up. So there is mm-hmm. there is yeah. that appetite, and they they're obviously trying to suppress yeah. the appetite. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we saw another cute reference, we saw the Labour Party in that in that era for those five years. The fact that Palestine was was so high on the sort of the policy agenda for for, for the hierarchy and for sort of the members, it showed that there isn't there isn't appetite there. Yeah. It's just how yeah. you unearth it, how you yeah. bring it into the mainstream and the party did that quite well. But people people have that now and and I feel like there is people are no longer relying on sort of the Mainstream avenues, uh, sort of media, politics, etc. Like Palestine action, for example, that's being condemned across the board. Every time mm-hmm. someone, some MP will come out, or someone will say something with yeah. it's that or BDS, or so, but I, but we we continue to to resist, and that's that's a good thing. Like like you said, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not to lose hope because there is in com, sort of in a, c- comparatively, the situation on the ground in Palestine. Yeah, it's bleak and it's it's, it's cruel. But in terms of the resistance here in terms of the solidarity and the and the awareness raising i think there's there's a lot more positives in comparison to like 10 15 years ago and a global yeah. human rights community multiple yeah. multiple reports now apartheid is no longer a yeah. dirty word people yeah. know israel is an
1: apartheid regime mm-hmm. that's progress in itself too. yeah 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 exactly exactly and uh, yeah like like i was saying you know maybe maybe it is just um, maybe it is optimism but but yeah i mean it does somewhat feel like something is about to give in a way. I mean, similar to the way in which apartheid South Africa was also getting increasingly desperate in its final years. Um, these 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 systems can't last forever, you know. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. Um, and goes up must come down. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that would probably be a, a good and also a hopeful point to sort of wrap things up as well for today unless you had much more to add. I think we've covered most of the things. Yeah, yeah, Agree. Yeah, definitely. No, but this has been great, you know, like, um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed um, having this conversation with you. And uh, like I was saying before, did you have any plugs or any shout-outs to social media before we go?
0: Uh, just
1: follow my Twitter, at Hamza underscore
0: A96. Um, yeah, you, you you find me ranting and perpetually
1: moaning on there, but <laughs> thing then uh, <laughs> follow definitely. And uh, I mean, of course, you've written quite extensively about the Israel Palestine um, situation uh, for Tribune magazine, but uh, in other places as well. And we'll be very happy to sort of link those in the show notes as well. Yeah, and shout out
0: to Tribune and Navara yeah. because they yeah. they they're doing amazing work on not just on. Uh, Israel, Palestine, just generally like yeah. we've got a broken media here. So mm-hmm. these left new left
1: wing organizations, uh, media organizations are they're killing it man. It's a shout out to them man. No, definitely, definitely. Um and uh yeah, obviously uh, just yeah, just a big thanks again for today because this has been yeah really great. As as always I'm Arjan at Arjanistan on Twitter. Uh we are on Patreon uh uh well, we're on Twitter as well at LeftoverPod and on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash LeftoverPod. A massive thanks to our supporters as always. Uh, there's a second Patreon episode coming out. Um, so um yeah do do watch out for that so there's gonna be two patreon episodes coming out this month so uh yeah if you've thought about supporting us before and uh yeah you like what we do please do help it 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 helps us a lot and uh yeah massive thanks to connor for production i hope they've enjoyed the week off uh and um big thanks to cardio for the music thanks to all of you for listening and we'll catch you all next time cheers